Article 8 of the Baptist Faith and Message, Statement of Faith adopted by the Southern Baptist Convention, though as some of you have asked me, it's not the statement of faith that each and every Southern Baptist church posts as its own statement of faith, but it's kind of a blanket statement of faith. Most Southern Baptist churches can agree to it, should agree to it, if they're in cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. And we're, we're hopefully, God willing, moving in the direction of, of adopting it as our statement of faith. It is more full, it's more explanatory, it's a little more robust, it's easier for us to, as a church, say, here, this is what we believe, very clearly, with scriptural support to back it up and um, in line and in accordance with Baptist history. You may think that baptism and the Lord's Supper that we talked about last week, and I referenced as some of the most controversial doctrines, although you might not think they would be, but you might think that this next article is just piece of cake. Um, If only that were true. This is the article on the Lord's Day. Article 8, and this is what it says. The first day of the week is the Lord's Day. It is a Christian institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead and should include exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. Activities on the Lord's Day should be commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'll read that again quickly because I know some of you don't have your book. How many of you are bringing your books? Just kind of raise your hand if you are. Okay, so let's, mostly most of you. Uh, The first day of the week is the Lord's Day. It is a Christian institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead and should include exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. Activities on the Lord's Day should be commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the Lordship of Christ. Now, why would a statement of faith structure an article on the Lord's Day in this way? Why would it structure it with these particular details? Why does it delineate it in precisely the way that it does. And so as we've done in previous weeks, we're just gonna take it phrase by phrase and ask, why is that phrase important? The Lord's Day is the first day of the week. Right? That's one of those, duh. Or is it? My church in Louisville, Kentucky, um, sadly, its history was it split from another church just a literally a few blocks away. The church met in a funeral home for a while, uh, 30 plus years ago. Only had one pastor before I came. He pastored there for about 20 something years. They eventually bought a piece of land. They bought a piece of land like two blocks from the church they split from. Um, Don't ever do that, okay? (laughs) If you ever leave this place and go be a part of another church, don't do that. Uh, But they did it. And so that's one of the things that I was inheriting is the church that we split from was, you know, throw a stone and hit it. But the piece of property that they bought was an old school building. And it was uh, run down. And as you might expect, it, it was kind of a typical middle of the 20th century, long elementary school building. And so it had kind of a, a, 
a cafetorium, gymnatorium at the front with big heating boilers that heated the whole building and then a, a, a hallway straight down the middle and classrooms all along the side. Behind us, we had 10 acres of land, um, which I mowed a lot of times. Uh, all other duties as assigned when you're a small church pastor. It was a beautiful little piece of property, had some neighborhoods that butted right up to it. But it was behind another church. So not only were we a couple of blocks from the church that we split from, but we were behind another church. So you couldn't even see our church from the road. If you drove on the road, you you talk about like visibility and exposure to the community and wanting people to come to your church. They could see a sign out front, but they couldn't see our building. They had to drive all the way down this long driveway to get to our building. And they had to drive past another church to get to our church. Well, in God's providence, and fortunately for us, the church that sat in front of us didn't meet at the same time that we did because it was a Seventh-day Adventist church. I had an assignment in seminary one year to, um, to attend different places of worship. So not only different religions, but also different denominations and and part of the assignment is just, you know, you're Baptists. A lot of you were born Baptists and you've been bred in the Baptist church and raised Baptist and you're at a Baptist seminary and you need to know what else is out there. And so I went to a Catholic church and I went to a Methodist church. I went to an Episcopalian church, went to a Presbyterian church. And I went one Saturday to this Seventh-day Adventist church. They were the sweetest people. They just welcomed me right in to the service and set me down. I don't think they had a lot of new people coming, you know. Here's a young person coming into the church. They got really excited. Uh, and so I sat through the service and then they asked me afterwards, you know, who are you? And what do you do? And I'd only been at the church a few months at the time and I hadn't met any of their people. And uh, so it was interesting and awkward for me to say, well, I'm the pastor of that church back there. Uh, but I had a great conversation with a couple of their people after the service and we talked about their beliefs, their understanding. It was just a few short months after that that uh, we were doing some evangelism out in the community and uh, I was sharing the gospel with some folks and this lady came up, she listened in on our conversation and she just got furious and she started yelling and fussing and, uh, and she professed to be a believer. So we're sharing the gospel with people that we think are not believers and we're having a very cordial interaction with them But this lady who professed to be a believer had butted into our conversation and essentially started calling us false teachers and we were going to hell and uh, she was letting us have it. And it turns out her biggest beef with us was that we worshiped on Sundays and that we didn't worship on the Sabbath. We didn't worship on the seventh day of the week. And she went into this long diatribe on uh, why we were wrong and why our religion was false because we worshiped on Sundays. Um, So I was surprised that coming Sunday when she showed up at our church. And for several weeks, she kept coming to our church. And I thought it was going to be one of those stories, like the word of God's going to do its work. But boy, she was just vicious. And she just kind of came inside our church and began to try to kind of tear all of our people away from our beliefs and to her side. And so we had to have lots of fun conversations with her. But she was adamant. 
just adamant. Maybe you've had interactions like that. Maybe you've had good friends that were Seventh-day Adventists. Maybe you've had good friends who were Baptists who worship on the first day of the week but were strict Sabbatarians, meaning that they treat the first day of the week as the Christian Sabbath, meaning that you should do no work at all on Sundays. So some of you remember your daddy was that way or your grandpa was that way. You went to church. You didn't go out to eat after church because in order to go out to eat, it meant that you were making somebody else work on the Sabbath. Uh, It can be really strict in places. Why in the world would a confession of faith be so adamant that the Lord's Day is the first day of the week? And we would say, It's because the Bible says that that's when the church began to worship. Yes, we know that there are other arguments and we'll look at a few of them tonight. But if you look on page 102 when Acts 20 is referenced, Paul in his ministry begins to describe how the disciples are gathering for worship on the first day of the week. Paul is with the elders. Luke is the one who's writing there in Acts. But he's recording for us the practice of the early church. Now, Sunday school answer, I know you know, but why did they worship on the first day of the week? Because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. So when the Baptist faith and message says that the first day of the week is the Lord's day, it it wasn't that the early church began thinking about Sunday is when we go to worship. They didn't call it Sunday. They called it the Lord's day. And it is a Christian institution for regular observance because, the next sentence, it commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So on page 104, if you just flip over to the next page, there's a little fill-in chart that has us compare and observe the difference between the Jewish understanding of the Sabbath and the Christian understanding of the Lord's Day. So first, the Sabbath. The Sabbath observed by the Jews. The Sabbath was the seventh day of the week. Why did the Jews observe the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week? It commemorates God's creative work of those first six days and his resting on the seventh day. And there was an emphasis on abstaining from work. Some of you have asked about going to Israel again. We'll be announcing this Sunday a meeting for the following Sunday for anybody that's interested in going to Israel next year, November of 2020. And so if you want more information about going to Israel with us next year, we'd love to give you that. But when you go to Israel, you will find that uh, when you go into a hotel on a Saturday, there is uh, several different elevators. And one of those elevators is known as the Shabbat elevator, the elevator for the Sabbath. And it is an elevator that when the doors open has a chair sitting in it. Why in the world would it have a chair sitting in it? Because it stops on every floor. And so some people when they get on the elevator, they can't stand up the whole time. They need to be able to sit 
because at every floor, the doors will open and they'll close. It'll go up and it'll open and it'll close. It'll go up and it'll open and it'll close all the way up. Like, like the movie Elf, right? The Christmas movie when he gets on and he pushes all the buttons and he's got to stop on every... Why is that? What's that? Not only that you, that you can't travel so far, it's work to push the button. Strict Jews will not push a button on the Sabbath because they consider it to be work. And so when you go to Israel, make sure you get on the right elevator on Saturdays or you'll be in for a long ride. So there, there are deep Judaic roots all throughout the Old Testament that describe the importance of the Sabbath. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. It was very important. Now, the Lord's Day, observed by Christians. The first day of the week, commemorating what? Christ's resurrection from the dead. Emphasis on what? Worship. Emphasis on worship. So not just rest from work and a recognition of God's creation, his work and his rest, but it's a recognition now of Christ's spiritual work. And so the church gathers to worship. And so the Baptist faith and message says that it should include exercises of both public and private worship. If you were to ask a little child, I don't know at what age in the school they begin teaching these kinds of things, but when you just look at calendars, sometimes we don't pay attention that the, the S comes at the beginning of the calendar. If you just ask a child what the first day of the week was, what do you think they would say? Monday. I guarantee you most of them would say Monday, right? The rhythms of their life begin on Monday. Begins in school. It begins getting up. They got to get up early. They got to put on their school uniform. They got to uh, get their homework and their backpack. And this begins the week. And I urge Christian parents as early as you possibly can to begin reminding your kids that Sunday is the first day of the week. Sunday is the day that begins the week. And it's an important day for us to remember. It's an important day for us to remember. So if you go back to page 102, it talks about regular observance. The Lord's Day is identified with the first day of the week. Regular observance then translates into a weekly event. The rhythm of life for Christians was gathering on the first day of the week. And so in Hebrews 10, when the writer of Hebrews reminded those believers of the importance of gathering, although he doesn't mention the first day of the week, he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. 21st century paraphrase. Don't miss church on Sundays. Go to church. It's important. I told you a few weeks ago about a church that I went to in South Carolina, a seminary friend of mine and I went and it was very formal, it was a Baptist church, it was a very, very formal, almost kind of high church, traditional Baptist church and the bulletins they gave us that day uh, said, you know, in observance of Lord's Day worship, the year of our Lord, it was very formal um, and I just remember thinking, well, that's fancy. 
And it took a while before it dawned on me. No, that's right. And we would do ourselves well to remind one another. It's just so ingrained in our vocabulary. It's so ingrained in my vocabulary. It's ingrained in the staff's vocabulary, right? Sunday's coming. Every Monday morning when we wake up and come to work, we're looking ahead to the next Sunday rather than thinking about it as the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is coming again. And I guarantee you, if you begin to think of it, even in your language as, Lord, help me stop calling it Sunday and help me begin referencing it as the Lord's Day, it'll change the way that you think about it. It'll change the way that you observe it. The Lord's Day is, this is straight out of the book here, 102, the day by which all other days are judged. It is the day when we affirm that Christians are to give priority to the worship of Jesus, to acts of devotion to him. We are called together to worship. The Lord's Day should be very distinct and very different in everything that occurs within it. Now, I could go on for another hour. I won't. But when we come together on Sunday mornings, so often in our world, we're constantly trying to ask, like, how can we as a church look a little bit more like what the world is doing? Whether it's our architecture and our spaces, our signage, our sermons, how can we adapt and contextualize? You know, we'll use a good Christian word. But really what we're meaning is like, how can we, how can we reach people by really becoming like them? We'll play closer to their music, you know, do more like what they would want to do. And that way they'll feel more welcome and they'll feel more comfortable and they'll be able to understand things better. And there is a sense, friends, in which we as pastors and we as leaders within the church, we don't want to unnecessarily give offense. We don't want to create an environment where no one feels welcome or unloved. And we should be careful to think through our language so that when people come to worship and they've never heard the gospel or they don't know what a Bible is and they don't know where to turn, we can help them with our Christianese. But friends, the worship of God on the Lord's day among God's people should look very distinct from the world. And there's a sense in which they shouldn't understand what's going on. Somebody was just telling me this week about how they went with some of their family members who weren't regularly in church right now. And, uh, but when they go visit them, they encourage them to go to church with them. And so they were talking with them about the service afterwards. And, and this individual said, uh, you know, what did you think of the service? And they said, they sure talk about blood a lot. Yeah, it's kind of the basis of our whole faith. We sing about blood. We say that we're drinking something that's a symbol of blood. We have pictures of Jesus bleeding in the hallways. Our faith is centered around blood. It should be distinct. It should be different 
Our song should be different. The message that is delivered should not be a message that is able to be preached out in the world as just a message of self-help and self-esteem. The gospel message and the offense of the cross should be distinct on the Lord's day. What are they talking about? Why is this so important? The Lord's day is so crucial for our lives. First day of the week. Sabbath command is not repeated in the New Testament. How are we to think about the Sabbath and the moral law of God? And so some Christians will just say, well, the new Sabbath is the first day of the week, which has led to some holding to a strict Sabbatarianism. We're gonna go to church and we ain't doing nothing else. Now, I think, at least in most cases, in our world and in our culture, we're way past that. We are way past that. The pendulum never stops in the middle. The pendulum always swings one direction. And in our culture, it has swung so far back the other direction. Like, we're lucky if we can get professing believers here two Sundays out of the month. And if we do get them here two Sundays out of the month... We're lucky if we can get them here for longer than the hour-long Lord's Day worship gathering. If we're lucky enough to get them in a Sunday school class or a small group and they stay for worship, we probably won't get them back for much more throughout the rest of the week. And many of them will go directly after church and spend the rest of their Lord's Day doing lots of other things. And so we have to ask the question, well, is that okay? Is it okay to play ball on Sundays? Is it okay to work on Sundays? If you have a heart attack and need to go to the hospital, you'll probably hope that there's a doctor working on a Sunday, right? Like, I don't want a strict Sabbatarian to be my cardiologist. Which is why the last statement of this paragraph says, activities on the Lord's day should be commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the Lordship of Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? That's a, that's a fancy phrase that they probably could have made a lot more clear. What does it mean? Okay. According to your understanding and your convictions of what God's word says. What's another way we could explain it? Somebody else want to use different words? Okay. So there's liberty. What does that mean? It means that we need to be very careful that we don't become legalists. It means that we need to be very careful that we don't make pronouncements upon other people about matters with which the scriptures aren't as clear. And so if you look on page 105, when Paul is writing in Romans 14, he says this, one person considers one day to be above another day. 
Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it to the Lord, observes it to the Lord. Whoever eats, eats to the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is to the Lord that he does not eat. Yet he thanks God. Paul was always having to deal, whether it was Corinth or Galatia or Rome, he was always having to deal with people that had difficulty floating back into not only Judaic roots, but holding the law and pronouncements of what people should do and not do as equal with their salvation by faith in the Lord Jesus. The works that they would accomplish or the things that they would not do. And Paul was very quick to say, we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we not equate one day better than the next and that we let each believer settle in their own minds before the Lord what their convictions are going to be? Are there principles, though, that we should try to hold and teach others regarding the Lord's day? Should we just say, well, as long as you come to church, everything else is, you know, okay, it's acceptable. You've got Christian liberty. Surely we wouldn't want to say that, right? So how could we think through it? What are the principles that we would be able to hold out for the Christian community to say, here are some things to think about as you think about the Lord's day. What would the first thing that you would, what's the first piece of counsel that you would give somebody? Your son or daughter comes to you. Your grandchild comes to you. How should I think about the Lord's Day? What's the first thing that you should say? What's that? Okay, so God first, which means? Hmm? What's that? Well, it means, that, it means I'm not first, that's right. Somebody said it. Somebody said worship, right? It means you better be in church. It means you better be in church. You've heard me talk about a friend of mine who says that Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. I would go even further than that. Like the Lord's day worship of God's people is really a week long decision. You, you better be thinking about and preparing for and planning to be in worship every Lord's day. God willing. It's sad, isn't it, that the average among Southern Baptist churches now is a regular attender is counted as somebody that goes two out of every four Sundays. That's a regular attender now. What's another piece that you would give somebody how to think about the Lord's day? Okay. So that's part of being in worship. You need to be with God's people whether it's in the Lord's Day gathering or whether it's with other believers in a group or outside of the Lord's Day gathering? What's another principle or layer that you would add to an understanding of the Lord's Day? Okay, so if we think about, 
So if we think about the Sabbath, but we don't really find, I don't at least, find any place in the New Testament where I can equate the Lord's Day with the Sabbath. The book of Hebrews describes how we've found our Sabbath rest now in Christ. But is there a wisdom, is there a wisdom to giving our full measure of devotion to the Lord on the Lord's day and not to labor? Is it possible for someone to come to worship on the Lord's day for an hour and then go spend five or six or seven or eight hours doing other things and them to still keep a full measure of devotion and worship and attention on the Lord throughout the day? You have to be careful there, right? We don't want to make a pronouncement. Like maybe if you go to the lake and spend the rest of the Lord's day out on a boat with the word open, reflecting on God's glory, like maybe. But if you're bouncing from ball field to ball field, or if you're driving up to the mall of Georgia to spend the day shopping, I think we have to rethink our priorities. Is it a sin to do those things? I think that's where Paul's saying, huh, let's be real careful that we don't pronounce someone else is doing something sinful. But boy, shouldn't there be some counsel that we give people about why the Lord's day should be so distinct and so different from every other day of the week? I talk to people all the time who uh, will say things like, you know, we really missed church last week. We just, oh, we just had such a busy weekend and um, we, had thing, we had things going on all day Saturday and we were, just, we were just out really, 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 really late. Well, then we need to rethink the way that we think about the Lord's day. If we so jam our weeks with craziness, if we so jam our Saturdays with busyness, if we so jam our Saturday evening get back in bedtimes so that we're not ready on the Lord's day to wake up and lead our own souls and our wives and our husbands and our kids to be in worship on the Lord's day, then we probably should reorient our hearts again and rethink our priorities. Do people have to work on Saturdays? Yeah. Do doctors and nurses have to work on Sundays? Yeah. When my wife had to work for five years full-time while we were in Louisville, she was required to work uh, once every third weekend. It's hard when you're a preacher's wife trying to help the church understand that your wife's not gonna be in church because she has to be working at the hospital. Church couldn't pay me enough money. She needed to be working. You know what we found, though? in a secular hospital like the University of Louisville hospital that she was working in, she was a good enough nurse that when she told them she was gonna go part-time because she was tired of working on Sundays and we, she was gonna come home to be with the kids and she only wanted to work part-time, they started trying to create ways to keep her working and said, well, we won't make you work on Sundays. You know what would happen if Christians had those kinds of conversations? Would it be possible for me to trade off a day so that I can be in worship? Would it be possible? Do you know what would happen if the world saw that our lives slowed way down on the Lord's day? 
And when they invited us to do things on the Lord's Day, we were able to say, you know what, we just, we can't participate because we give our Lord's Day to the Lord. I'm not a Sabbatarian, friends. I'll go out to eat on Sunday afternoons. Um, I've, I've probably done yard work on Sundays. But by and large, the rule and principle of my life is I take some of those Old Testament principles of the Sabbath and I try to bring them over and carry them over to the Lord's day. We commemorate and we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. We rest as best we can from our labor. We prepare for a week where we're going to be on mission for Jesus. And we try to give our full measure of devotion and attention to the Lord who has saved us, both in acts of public worship and in acts of private worship. The full day of the Lord belongs to the Lord. Until he comes again and until we're in his presence, the Lord's day should be the Lord's day. So when you go home tonight, you think about this upcoming Sunday, think about it as the Lord's day. Think about what you've got planned for the weekend and make sure whatever it is, you're ready to be with God's people to worship him on Lord's day morning. All right, let's pray together. Uh, I'll be here at the front if you have a question or two or uh, any thoughts about tonight's study. Let's do our best to move out of the sanctuary as quick as we can so that the choir can enter in for their practices. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for a study of your word. We're thankful that Christ rose on the first day of the week. Christ's resurrection and the breaking open of that tomb on the first day of the week changed everything. It changed doctrine. It established new covenants. It changed the day of worship and rest for the Lord's people who are now found in Christ by faith. And so, Lord, we're not perfect. There are going to be Sundays when we're going to have to work. There are going to be Sundays when we're going to be busy or we're going to be traveling. And we know that there is freedom and there's liberty in Christ. And you don't judge us. You don't punish or discipline us when those necessities are there. But Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to be discerning. Help us to be men and women of conviction and priority. Help us value and honor the Lord's day. Help us to remember it and set it aside as a holy day. And Lord, I pray that that would be something that's contagious among all of our people. That we wouldn't settle for being here two or three Sundays. But Lord, unless providentially hindered, Unless, unless we are geographically relocated, that it will be the main priority of our every week to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day for worship. For we pray all these things in the name of the one who rose on the first day of the week, Christ our Lord, amen.